Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers across the land, welcome back to the Felony Friday podcast. This is a show where we focus on the injustices in our broken criminal justice system. We publish a new episode every single Friday, so be sure to check back here every Friday. You can find our show notes for this episode. They're going to be at linesofliberty.com slash FF3. We keep it real simple. Just two letters and a number. Linesofliberty.com FF3. So be sure to follow up and you can check out everything we talk about and I'll link to any articles that are cited in this episode. I'm really excited about today's episode because we have a little bit of a first, a little bit of a different format. We have our first interview. I'm going to be welcoming in Regina Huffnagel into the Felony Friday studio. Regina has a diverse and interesting background. She served in Bosnia to support Operation Joint Forge before she began a career as a correctional officer for the Federal Bureau of Prisons. During her time as a correctional officer, she grew dismayed with the criminal justice system and the injustices rampant throughout the system. And she especially noticed that those prisoners serving time for nonviolent and victimless crimes especially noticed those injustices. Regina didn't uh, sit back and allow this to continue to happen without uh, trying to take action and make a change. She went and she's now working with LEAP. And if you're not familiar with LEAP, they're a great organization. LEAP stands for Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. LEAP is a nonprofit organization made up of current and former members of the law enforcement and criminal justice communities. And the focus on speaking out about the failures of the drug policies. And LEAP has a stated goal of ending the war on drugs altogether. And that's something I think everybody um, listening in our audience can really get behind. So, Regina, welcome to the Felony Friday podcast. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me. Regina, I want to kind of dive in and uh, get into your background first. Uh, Before we start talking about LEAP and all the great things that, that LEAP is trying to accomplish to reform the criminal justice system, I wanted to ask you if you could talk about maybe your time in the armed forces, serving over in Bosnia, and then maybe talk about how that kind of transitioned into um, your work in the criminal justice system. Sure. So I, in my younger years, always thought that law enforcement was the good guys. Those are the people who help those who maybe can't help themselves or they find themselves in a scenario where they need help. And I like helping people. And I thought that that would be you know, sort of like a noble profession to go into. So I joined the military police corps, the Army Military Police Corps, when I was 17. And I went away to basic training as soon as I finished high school. And I was a reservist for a few years and just going to school, majoring in criminal justice, and then deployed in 2000-2001 to Bosnia. And then when I got back from that deployment, my plans were to just continue studying criminal justice and leverage my veteran status to help me get a job in law enforcement. That actually did happen. The Federal Bureau of Prisons opened FMC Devons, the Federal Medical Center, on Devons, which was where I was sometimes drilling, and it was fairly close to home. So I applied for a position as a correctional officer, and I was hired. And I spent about four years as a correctional officer at that facility. And then I promoted into the receiving and discharge department, 
where we process the inmates in and out. I was there for about four years and really just had spent enough time in law enforcement to recognize that what I thought it was, it actually wasn't. And I just didn't want to be a part of it anymore. So I quit (laughs) and moved on into another part of life. I reinvented myself and did something completely different. And so as I've been on sort of that new journey in my life, I have been exposed to a lot of sort of libertarian ideas, such as the war on drugs is terrible. And after participating in a symposium at Harvard University two Octobers ago, law enforcement against prohibition did a presentation. And I had no idea that they existed. But Jack Cole, who is the co-founder, who is a retired police officer, he did the presentation and it was amazing. He touched on a lot of things that I already knew. He touched on a lot of things that I didn't know. But what was most important to me was that there were several thousand people who are current and former law enforcement, whether they be attorneys, cops, judges, probation and parole, and they are all against the drug war. And so I really saw that as a scenario that I could potentially be effective because I do have a previous background in law enforcement. And so I decided that since I can't fight every battle, I should probably pick one. And this is the one I chose. That's awesome. Something that you mentioned in your, uh, talking about how you got started and the reasoning why you wanted to start in, you wanted to go into the field of criminal justice was because you wanted to help people. This is kind of a general question, and I know it's, I guess it's probably just going to be your opinion, but would you say that a lot of the people that you worked with when you were working as a correctional officer really were doing it because they wanted to help people? Do you think, did you come across a lot of people who were in the field maybe just because they wanted the power? Oh, it's definitely a mix. There are people in law enforcement who most certainly should not be there. I would say that they're definitely in the minority. I think that we see reports daily about people who are in law enforcement who do absolutely horrendous things. And it's kind of the whole idea of, you know, you shouldn't let one bad apple rot the bunch. But unfortunately, that is indeed sort of what happens. I know I'm currently, you know, still friends with so many people who are in law enforcement who are very, very good people. And they do genuinely want to help in some capacity. And they're motivated to be valuable members of their community. And I think what has been so detrimental to law enforcement altogether is having to enforce rules and laws that, you know, what they're enforcing isn't a crime. It's against the law, but it's not a crime. And when you're having to arrest somebody for smoking pot, which is, it's not a crime. When you are arresting people for victimless crimes, that really does tarnish society's view of law enforcement versus, you know, if law enforcement was effectively treating scenarios such as rape, robbery, molestation, crimes with real victims, the public opinion of law enforcement would be a lot higher. Unfortunately, because of the war on drugs, law enforcement is always fighting the war on drugs. And as a result, you know, crimes that do have victims are not solved at nearly the rate that they were before 1970. So I think that you're dealing with a multifaceted situation here that, you know, if we simply eliminated the war on drugs altogether, 
uh, law enforcement could actually go back into this scenario where they do help people. I also, I think that we probably know this too, is there's that thin blue line where when there's one person who's not behaving properly, it uh, becomes very difficult for the decent law enforcement to speak out against that. So again, just another one of the facets to the problem that I think society is really starting to recognize all of these things, and it would really be nice to identify some solutions and apply them. Yeah, I think it's important that you noted there that society is recognizing this. And uh, you're talking about how police officers are being forced to enforce these laws, laws that really are not crimes. Um, they're you know crimes in air quotes just because the legislation has been written, but no one's being harmed. There is no victim. Regina, during your time as a correctional officer, are there any specific situations or points in time that stand out as a turning point, maybe some sort of event where, where you were able to realize just how broken the criminal justice system is? Any um, cases that you came across uh, with individuals really being abused by the systems that's supposed to be serving the people. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of the things It was absolutely the turning point for me is um, so sex crimes, particularly uh, sex crimes against children, is something that a great deal of society has a major issue with. And we were seeing that those who are incarcerated in federal prison for molestation of children, there's no effort to treat them or rehabilitate them. And so as a result of the public outcry against that, the Federal Bureau of Prisons started the first uh, sex offender management and sex offender treatment program. And I think that that was maybe 2003 or four. And the institution where I worked was the test institution. So they processed out a bunch of general population inmates and processed in a bunch of essentially child molesters. And they may have been ones that they suffer from some pretty significant mental health issues. And so they don't know their left hand from their right hand, and they're really sort of bad off. And there are ones who are as normal as you and I, and they knew exactly what they were doing. And it was a good mix. And so they started the management program and the treatment program. One's voluntary, one is not. And it doesn't give the inmate any time off of his sentence, but the purpose of the programs is to try and help them mitigate and manage their behavior because the recidivism rate, recidivism is a fancy word for reoffense, uh, the recidivism rate for sex offenders is actually 86%. So not only are we attempting to help them manage their behavior when they get out of prison, we're also attempting to learn about how it is that they do what they do and get away with it. This is actually probably the first time I've ever felt in my law enforcement career that I was actually doing something good for the community, because if we know that a child molester's rate of reoffense is 86 percent, then we know that they definitely need to be incarcerated because they're not molesting children while they're incarcerated. So that was a big thumbs up for me. What we also found out that on average is that for every one known victim, that there's approximately six or seven that are unknown. And we wow. find that out because we are counseling them and attempting to you know, help them manage their behavior. Both of these programs were really amazing to help us gather information and then, you know, funnel that out to the community and to law enforcement. So that was great. But what really bothered me 
was when I was in the receiving and discharge department and every single day the inmates would, you know, come in to start their sentences or they'd be released because it was the end of their sentence. And I would be releasing just some, you know, random black dude who's been incarcerated for 15 years because he had some pot. And on the same day that I'm releasing him, I'm releasing a known child molester who has six or seven victims and he's only been down for three years. And he's got actual physical victims. He has hurt people. And he's only incarcerated for three years. And statistically, he's a white guy versus the black guy who's sitting right beside him who has been incarcerated for 15 years for like, I don't know, a couple pounds of pot. And this happened every single day over and over and over. And it just kind of got to me that I'm in this scenario where I have to see this every day. It's wrong. This system is wrong. And I'm a part of this system. And it seems as though there's nothing that I can do in this position to change it. And, you know, once you sort of start thinking about those things, and you allow yourself to think about that stuff, you can't go back. And it was just sort of the straw that broke the camel's back for me. That's really unbelievable. Something that happens every single day, and that really, stories like that, that you just told, that's the reason I'm doing what I do. That's why I have this show, just to educate people and just get the word out that we have a, a broken criminal justice system. We have a system that lets dangerous people walk after short sentences, five, ten-year sentences, and keeps someone in prison. Uh, still today, keeps someone in prison for five, ten years for selling some marijuana. Listeners to this show are familiar with a, a story I've told many times about a friend of mine who was in college and he ended up selling some marijuana to an undercover police officer. And obviously he didn't know this guy was a police officer. A police officer kept coming back until he got him to buy enough marijuana. And this kid wasn't even a, a dealer. He was going to find this stuff to sell to this guy just to make some extra money and got him to the point so that he could charge him with a felony. So he ended up getting charged with a felony, spent a year in jail, I think he's still on probation. And it's really, it's I'm not going to say ruined his life, but thankfully it's his family supported him. He's had a lot of support and he, he can bounce back from that. Um, I think it's important to, for felons to know that even if you do make a mistake or, you know, if you do make a mistake, I should say in the eyes of law enforcement, in the eyes of the criminal justice system, that you can still come back from that. I'm uh, glad that you brought that up. And actually, that was one of the things about Jack Cole's presentation when I saw the first leap presentation. That's one of the things that he actually talked about was that the war on drugs, they actually intentionally created felons to be able to meet quotas. And that, you know, somebody like your friend, that happened all the time. And they would, you know, charge them with felonies. They were decent people who weren't actually doing anything wrong. And once you are a felon, it's harder for you to get a job. You can't vote. You can't carry a firearm. And yeah, there are ways to overcome it if you have, you know, like you said, supportive family. But the rate of incarceration for white males, the lifetime rate of incarceration potential is one in 17. The lifetime incarceration rates of potential of black males is one in three. And Oftentimes we're talking about those who are not in great financial circumstances and who are also, you know, maybe not in great educational circumstances and are probably suffering from broken family situations. And their ability to overcome that felony is 
pretty difficult. So the war on drugs is so multifaceted in that, you know, the way it affects one person is not the way it affects another. But on the whole, the way it affects society is that the United States now has the largest prison population in the world, larger than places like dictatorial Russia, but we only have 5% of the world's population. I think it's a it's a good point that you make that the war on drugs has variety of effects on many different people and affects uh, different people's lives who are convicted of crimes in different ways. The people respond differently and some get stuck in the system and don't come back out. And some like Michael Santos, who was convicted of uh, cocaine crime, writes books in prison and makes millions of dollars and comes out and he's a great advocate for helping felons to rebuild their lives after making a mistake. Something that, that I wanted to touch on, as a libertarian, I am, and I, I think you said you're a libertarian as well. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes we talk about just exactly how to unravel the state and how to get coercive government out of our lives. And there's certain aspects of government, like foreign policy and immigration, to name two, that I think are pretty complicated and maybe are not just as simple as just ending it. But with something like the war on drugs, something like especially marijuana prohibition, something like that, it's pretty straightforward that if you can end it, you're going to make the world a lot better. You're going to make the world a lot more moral and a lot more free. So, Regina, is there anything that LEAP is doing specifically to educate people on the necessity, number one, to end the war on drugs and the reason why the war on drugs is so immoral? Absolutely. You know, so we, you know, just like I'm on your show right now, I was on a radio show in Atlanta, I think right around Thanksgiving. Uh, It was supposed to be like maybe... 30 minutes. It ended up being an hour and a half. Uh, (laughs) uh, We sing like birds. We host all sorts of symposiums on, you know, larger scales, on smaller scales. We are always looking for opportunities to speak at uh, colleges, rotary clubs, uh, whatever the case may be. The Speakers Bureau is actually pretty large. I spoke at um, Freedom Fest at the Boston Common over the summer. That's Freedom Fest has been going on for something like 17 years. And it's amazing to me that people can go into the Boston Common on a beautiful summer, sunny day and smoke all the pot that they want with the cops walking all around and nobody gets arrested. But there's tons of people rotting in prison for doing exactly what they were doing because somebody pulled a permit so that you could smoke pot on the Boston Common. So we are always looking for opportunities to speak. We do tend to speak at a lot of libertarian type forums. We also do our best to get in front of people who are not at all libertarian and who are completely pro war on drugs so that we can help with that message. So, you know, sometimes it's just putting the bug in someone's ear. We like to talk about, you know, the current situation with tons of legislation going on in the nation for medical marijuana, because ending the war on drugs is ending the war on all drugs. And if we're going to stop marijuana prohibition, that's a baby step, but it's a baby step in the right direction. So we just have to keep stepping in those directions. So we speak at a lot of libertarian forums. And when I am speaking with libertarians, it's not for me to preach to the choir. It's for me to say, what are your ideas on this? Because this should be a symposium and we should talk about this. I want to hear what you think. And I would like to collaborate. I want to talk to people who are sort of pro Bernie Sanders because he's the only one recently who has put forth legislation to take marijuana off of the schedule one, despite the fact that there's been other libertarian politicians who have been talking about that for decades. So I want to know why is he so interesting to the younger people versus older people, maybe not so much and really try and get an idea of 
what are the thought processes around this? How do we overturn those negatives? And how do we properly convey that message so that at least it will get people thinking? That's great. And I think that's really important. I think a lot of libertarians make a mistake that they see these rights infringing laws and they automatically blame the state, hate the state. It's the state's fault for enacting these laws on we the people, on us. When in reality, if you look around, the majority of our fellow citizens favor these laws and they're voting politicians in who are in favor of these laws and sometimes even want to escalate them. So I think it's really great what LEAP is doing specifically uh, trying to educate the people because you, first you have to, people have to understand the ideas of liberty. They have to understand the, just how broken, they have to understand how these laws have hurt so many people and how the criminal justice system is has the highest incarceration rate in the world. So I think it's great to specifically target that area. You know, ideally, I think that hopefully we look back on this situation maybe 20, 30 years from now and we say, oh, look at that. Alcohol prohibition clearly didn't work and neither did drug prohibition. I'm so glad we stopped that nonsense. <laughs> it's interesting how people all of a sudden think it's going to work. I mean, it obviously didn't work with alcohol prohibition. I mean, it led to the, the mob. I mean, we know what happened there. And then we have yeah, marijuana prohibition, obviously cocaine prohibition and heroin prohibition. And we have the Mexican drug cartels and we have violence in our inner cities. And people just can't really have trouble connecting those dots. It's really mind boggling to me. I really wonder, too, if it just has a lot to do with, you know, what the mainstream media portrays and what it is that they report about. Because if you look at what happened in Portugal, Portugal decriminalized all drugs 15 years ago, and they took all of the money that they spent on the war on drugs and they channeled it into uh, social rehabilitation programs. And they have seen massive decreases in infections that are associated with drug use, whether it be needles or what have you, massive reductions in rates of HIV transmission. The population who has come forth to seek help for addiction skyrocketed. And as a result of them coming forth and saying, I need help, they got the help that they needed. And now they've returned to society and they're better functioning members of society versus the current system that we have in the United States, the European system, if that's what you would call it, that we just incarcerate them. And that's not where people stop doing drugs because, uh, hello, there's plenty of drugs in prison. So Switzerland is another example. Uh, Switzerland has a heroin program where if someone's addicted to heroin, uh, they go to their doctor. They say, I'm an addict, and they are treated for their heroin addiction by a doctor with heroin. So they essentially get a prescription for heroin. And because they're on that prescription and they're monitored by healthcare professionals, they have jobs, they have families, they're functioning members of society. You don't see people on the streets in Switzerland, in the ghettos, you know, shooting up heroin in dark alleys. <laughs> there are so many other examples of what other nations have done that have been massively successful. And I think it's simply that um, people in the United States don't know because they you know, maybe only watch one certain channel on TV. And despite the fact that there's the internet where you could go research all this stuff, people just sort of would rather watch cats on YouTube. Ignorance is bliss, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's important how you've pointed out to it's good to bring these drugs and behaviors out into the open. I know that that leap and myself here on the show, I'm not 
advocating drug use. You know, we're not going out telling people to use heroin, but people are addicted to heroin. People have problems. Um, people are addicted to cocaine. And would you rather these people be getting their heroin and cocaine from um, shady black market drug deals where they could get uh, you know something in the heroin that kills them? I mean, most heroin overdoses are because the heroin is there's something wrong with it. There's something in the heroin. So we'd rather have that, you know, under a doctor's care where they can at least maybe wean themselves off of it or get them to a level where they're not so heavily addicted in their lives. Right. Absolutely. And that's actually one of the key talking points that we make about uh, the legalization of marijuana is marijuana does actually have massive medicinal properties, clearly. And if some little four-year-old girl who's having horrible seizures and the only thing that helps her that stops the 200 grand mal seizures a day is low THC, high CBD marijuana, why would she not be able to get that from a regulated and licensed dispensary? Why would you risk her parents going out into the illegal market and getting that for their little four-year-old daughter who they're just trying to save her life versus giving her pharmaceuticals that melt her brain? Why are we still letting something like medical marijuana, why is that still on the streets? Why is that not regulated so that that little four-year-old girl is maybe not ingesting something that's going to kill her? And why are we risking putting her parents in jail when they're actually doing the best thing for her that they possibly can? And so, and the same thing applies to the heroin is you don't know what's in it, but in Switzerland, they know what's in it. And the other thing that, you know, we're noticing too is that I think the statistic was that the uh, opioid addiction, the heroin addiction in the United States has actually increased by 40% since 2011. And I think the statistic that I most recently read is that there's four heroin overdose deaths a day. And so that's horrible. And if that is indeed the case, and we know that there are better ways of treating that, why are we not implementing those? Why are we still letting people kill themselves with their heroin addiction when it doesn't have to happen that way? It truly is sad. It truly is sad how easy it would be to help these people and the current laws, uh, society's current view on a lot of these substances is actually harming people more. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to uh, ask one last question, Regina, Mm -hmm. and uh, I wanted to know uh, if anyone in the audience listening, if they want to connect with LEAP or get involved is there anything they can do to reach out to you to Absolutely, yeah. So our website is www.leap.com cc law enforcement against prohibition comes up in a google search and there's a couple of different ways that you can get in touch with us you can go on our website you can check out our booking team you can ask the booking team to help us book speakers and arrange presentations in front of new audiences across the country that is great and so you know you may be interested in just you know booking a presentation but you may also be interested in maybe being a speaker we've got various different roles where i actually have i for lack of a better term a handler where my handler will call me up and say hey i have this speaking engagement for you on this date at this time are you interested and so there's sort of the people who are in the foreground there's the people who are in the background so there's various different ways that you could participate if you wanted to. And, you know, it's really rewarding work and it's really essential that others help uh, Leap get their message out. So one of the things too, our website's pretty extensive. And I think one of the things that is really important is that, you know, there are people who just don't know how to have this discussion. 
So if you want to learn on how to talk to your family and friends about why we should legalize drugs and we should end the war on drugs, you know, give us a call, shoot us an email. We can help you with the talking points and we can point you in the direction of where it is that we're going to have our next speaking engagement that's going to be near you that you can participate in. So yeah, www.leap.cc. Regina, thank you for coming on the show. I want to thank you also for everything you're doing with Leap to end the war on drugs. You can find the show notes. I will link to uh, everything Regina just referenced. You can find the show notes at linesofliberty.com slash FF3. Please uh, remember to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher Radio if that's your thing. If you're on iTunes, leave a comment. We really appreciate that. Please reach out to the show. Feel free to reach out and email us at felonyfriday at linesofliberty.com. If you have ideas for guests, please, folks, remember also to follow the Lions of Liberty on Facebook and Twitter. You can also join our private Facebook forum simply by searching Lions of Liberty on Facebook. Just uh, punch that into the search bar and our group will pop right up and we'll be sure to let you on in. So with that being said, guys, thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. Thank you again to Regina Huffnagel for joining us here. And with that being said, I'm going to sign off. Always remember to keep your head up and keep the fire of liberty burning.